Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound Podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. Have I got an episode that you're really going to enjoy? I got a bluesman extraordinaire that travels from the UK and the United States back and forth. He's a New York City guy. He's known as the Hitman, Russell Alexander from the Hitman Blues Band. And I tell you, I learned a lot and got some great insights uh, on his life and his journey and his music. Let's take a listen to his very first song, Not My Circus. I met this lady with a winning smile We had some drinks and then we talked a while She leaned up close and whispered in my ear She said, I hope my boyfriend doesn't show up here Say what? She said her ex kind of lost his mind Not only that, he was the jealous kind Special forces till they kicked him out My circus, not my monkey. Monkey see, monkey do, monkey see. Yeah, but I ain't you. I got a burger from the all-night stand. This guy walks over. If you don't mind, I'd rather have the bread If you could spare just a little more I'll take us someplace where we both can score Now I'm no angel, but I ain't no junkie I said, yo, not my circus, not my monkey
I'm really excited about my guest today. Uh, he's a music aficionado, guitarist, a real blues man, and uh, I'm so blessed to have him uh, on the Long Island Sound podcast. And with that, I welcome Russell Alexander of the Hitman Blues Band to the Long Island Sound podcast. Russell, so good to have Thanks you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know what? Everything comes back to the blues as, as far as I'm concerned. I, when I started learning guitar, you know, the first thing is like, learn your blues scales because you can play with anybody. Everybody knows the blues. And coming from New York, we always lament and complain about things and complain about things. So why not the blues? It's a way of uh, getting out the angst and realizing, uh, hey, maybe I don't got it as bad as the next guy. Well, you know, the thing about the blues is that people think like blues is always sad. Listen, the blues is like, I mean, rock took its cue from the blues. And right. the same way that jazz also, to an extent, kind of co-grew with the blues. Um, jazz kind of predated it a bit. But, you know, the blues is about everything. I mean, there's happy blues songs. There's drunk blues songs. There's sad <laughs> blues songs, of course. Um, there's, you know, uh, uh, like optimistic blues songs. There's boastful. I mean, nobody boasts like the blues. You know, you, you have <laughs> rap tunes where the guy's boasting amateurs, man. Because you get <laughs> lyrics in the blues where you say, like, you know, I can heal the sick. I can raise the dead. You, you don't hear right. that in too many forms of music. I, I, was, I was thinking about, and I've got to find the title. This just came to mind. It was an old blues tune about, on the topical side of it, it was about a lady going to the dentist, but it was really about sex. And it was done in the 30s, and it was so cool. That, you know, every, uh, every pun you can imagine was in that song about, you know, getting your holes drilled and what have you. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Where else, where else could you do that but the blues, yeah, right? Papa, it's too big. It won't fit. And she's talking about a couch. <laughs> but it's, you know, but the thing was that um, you had to be very careful what you said because, because of the censors. And also... Sure. You had to be very careful about what you said. A lot of times, the blues was used as a analogy. It was it was used as a substitute for things like a lynch mob. Like you know, the blues was coming for me. You know, or the blues chased me down. 
they're not talking about the blues. They're talking about right. what they had to deal with, but they couldn't say it. So they were talking blues. Yeah. So that, that made every lyricist of the blues a little bit more clever oh. to get their message out, you know? That's, I'm like that's a one-eyed cat peeping in a seafood store. Yeah, it's not about a cat. <laughs> I tell you, so you're a New York guy. Uh, in reading about, you know, you, you come from a musical family. Your father was a, a jazz great playing with all the greats. Your your grandmother was in Yiddish theater, if I recall. Well, my, gra- my, and, my grandmother was um, a classical pianist, and my great-grandmother oh, was in the Yiddish theater. Oh, that's great. It's amazing how when you come from those kind of roots, how it can permeate your soul and influence you in ways that you don't realize until you get a little bit older, you know? Well, you, you gotta, I mean, uh, I grew up thinking that being a musician was a normal way of making a living. You know, my friends had fathers who were like proofreaders or bakers or, you know, policemen or whatever. My father, right. you know, slept until noon and worked until four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I mean, very hardworking guy, my dad. And uh, yeah. to me, this this was normal. This is the way you make a living. You, you know, you, you get a nice nightclub tan. And, uh, <laughs> Good fluorescent tan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this, this is like the, the life. Right, right. So now you get that influence from your dad. And if I recall, you started early playing in bands like 13 or 14, right? 12. You know, the typical yeah. 12. Yeah. Wow. Uh, typical gigs. So what's interesting, because I've talked to other, I've asked other guys. I was singing back then. I wasn't playing guitar then. What you were singing. Okay. Um, Then at that point, when did you pick up the instrument? When did that kind of say, uh, this is the direction I want to go in now? I started playing guitar when I was 13, and I took lessons from Joe Monk, who was just incredible. And Joe, I was horrible. Just really a terrible student. I wouldn't practice. Um, We would spend most of the lesson talking. Whereas there was another student who started at the same time I did, Mark, I think, Mark Markowitz, who was always, you know, practicing and he got all his lessons done. And he ended up being a very well known and successful jazz musician as well he should have been because a great player and i ended up being right. a broke blues guy but you know that's there you go um eventually you know i was never one of those guys who would sit there and practice for four or five hours a day i knew guys like that and they were incredible right. unfortunately a lot of them actually ended up having all kinds of problems with their hands because they practiced four or five hours a day you know, I mean, we're not all going to be Tommy Emmanuel. You know, there's just. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that uh, of the artists I've talked to, some in their teens, they got really obsessive and the guitar was always in their hands and moving it. And uh, like me, I learned the guitar late in life, you know, and thank God for YouTube. And I could yeah. see somebody and then I could emulate it. And then I graduated. The reason why I met Mike Nugent is I didn't know the neck and I felt like an idiot. And I'd like to know what notes I'm playing. I could tell that they were right or wrong or whatever. Um, I still struggle with that. So, but, um... well, I mean, <laughs> good for you. Because, you know, <laughs> um, I've met, there was one fellow that um, I knew a 
wonderful guitar player uh, named Larry Miller, who was okay. just an, an, an incredible talent. He had no idea what chords he was playing, what notes he was playing, but oh my God, was he great. Unfortunately, he had a stroke and um, and he's he had to stop playing, but he's hopefully, you know, doing rehab and he's got thousands of fans and supporters. And, you know, but here's a guy who just, he didn't want to know because he felt it would kind of interfere with what he was with what he was doing and he wrote original tunes and he played and um as one guy said you never knew with larry you never knew exactly what was gonna come out <laughs> right you know right. until until that, the moment he hit the stage you didn't quite know what he was gonna be doing <laughs> it's kind of like kind of like dylan with the backup bands like dylan would switch stuff up and change keys and tempo and just to keep everybody on edge from what i understand and that's where the creativity comes out when, when that energy is yeah, kind of exciting. I mean, King told his guys, yeah. I never want to hear you play the same solo twice. Because oh, wow. he, he didn't want it to get stale. Which I can understand. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And you know what? It, uh, I can't imagine doing thousands of gigs. And, you know, uh, I can't imagine being a tribute band mm -hmm. where you play the same song over and over and over again. Nothing against guys who can emulate other people. But I was just talking with another guest about that. It kind of stifles who you are and what you bring to the instrument and what you bring to the art or what flows through you. There's another way to it's look at it. It's a decision you make. I know a guy who's in a tribute band. They got paid $40,000 to get flown out to Las Vegas and do one set. And then they got their hotel room and they went back in. But, like you said, it is the same thing every time. And they enjoy it. They enjoy what they're doing. They like it. And they'll be glad to do this for the rest of their lives. And that's great. And people love to go see them. And, you know, because yeah. it's the closest they're going to get to the real band, because the real band is no longer. Right. Um, but, you know, it's not for you, and it's not for me. So I see the progression where, obviously, influences of family in your genes to a certain aspect, so I'm a little jealous. You yeah, see? You know, my bass player just said to that guitar? to me today. He said... Oh, well, you know, you really? got it from your father. Listen, if I was talented, I would have been, yeah, yeah. you know, I would have picked up the guitar, man, and been playing and just doing <laughs> it. I got my ass kicked a lot. There were many, many, many nights. I came home from gigs and I just said, um, I'm never doing this again. You know, I mean, <laughs> I just embarrassed myself and, you know, I'm not going back. I'm not going to do this again. But... What are you going to do? You, you, you yeah. got Plus, I had crippling stage fright. Really? Interesting. And, um, you know, I, I had to why, learn. Why, why is that? Are, would you consider yourself an introvert? Or? It isn't so much that. Stage fright is yeah. when you have, you have the fight or flight response. You can't do okay. either one of them. You can't fight anybody and you can't run. Right. So now you've got stage fright. And there's nothing you can do about it. So what I learned is that when I get stage fright, don't fight it. Mm -hmm. Just accept the fact that it's there. There's nothing you can do okay. about it. Let it wash over you and go on and start playing the best um, defense against stage fright is to be fairly comfortable with what you're going to be playing. 
know that you're mm-hmm. going to, I mean, there'll be times I'll go to a jam session and I'll be waiting to be called up and I'll start feeling it. Like, you know, it would be real easy for me to just leave now and go out the door. But sure. You know, I, I recognize it for what it is. So I'll, I'll, I'll go up anyway and, you know, hopefully not make an idiot out of myself and just, do, do what I'm doing. Yeah, so you, you, found, you found a coping mechanism. For the coping me- mechanism is not to fight it. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, man, I've, I've never heard that before. That's great. You know, it's interesting. I've heard the term, you're a disaster before you become a master at something, right? And uh, a lot of it's repetition and, and, and hard work. And I'll never forget the time, and I'm in my 30s at this point, where a friend says, oh, you have a guitar? Why don't you come over and play with a couple of guys, Okay. I went and played with the guys. I felt like such an a-hole and so horrible that it was a fight or fl- fight or flight thing mentally for me regarding the instrument. Do I take it and chuck it in the corner and say, ah, well, I gave it my best shot? Or do you go, oh, man, I can do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle it, and then I'm, I'm going to concentrate on it. And um, I did. Uh, I got to a point where I can play songs, even to the way the, the wife says, hey, that, that's not okay. I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't too bad. <laughs> that but we all have, we have all different paths when it comes to the instrument, you know. And, so, and uh, the guitar, like like every other instrument, is it, it's like uh, like digging a hole that widens. Like the more you learn about it, the more there is to learn, and you realize that yeah. you're just never going to really our lives are too short you're never going to be able to learn everything i have stuff like toby walker i bought some of his courses and um and uh oh my mind just went blank uh um andy uh uh great great player here he did a lot of instructional videos um Mm -hmm. oh what did my mind just go blank but you know all these guys and you look at the stuff that they they do and you say, maybe if I just really work it, I'll get like 10% of that or 20% of it. But you had, there's just so much to learn on the instrument. You go in so many different directions with it. And right. you, you, you know, it, it would take lifetimes to really master it unless you're a guy like Danny Gatton, who was just like an enigma. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or Tommy Emmanuel, who is also an enigma. There, but there, there aren't many right. people like that. I mean, they're just they're people who are just born to do this. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. Hey, let's do this, uh, Russell. Let's just take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the song uh, our audience heard, "Not My Circus." When we come back in, I'm interested in what inspired you, how the muse came about, and uh, let's check it out. Hang with us, everybody. We'll be right back with Russell Alexander of the Hitman Band, blues band. Be right back. Looking to rock out to the best of Long Island's music? The Long Island Sound Podcast has got you covered. From intimate coffeehouse performances to sold-out stadium shows, we bring you to the heart of Long Island's music scene. Don't miss out on the exclusive interviews with local legends and emerging artists. Subscribe to the Long Island Sound Podcast on gigdestiny.com and crank up the volume on your love for music. Hey, everybody, we're back with Russell Alexander. Hey, Russell, I never ask an artist what this song meant because I really like to keep it open to the audience to make it their own soundtrack. 
But I'm curious about the song our audience heard, Not My Circus, how that came about for you. Um, and then I'd also like to talk about, you know, the progression you made from singer, gu guitarist, bluesman to songwriter and how that went. So tell me about Not My Circus. We were on tour in the UK in, I think it was 2016, and our regular bassist, Mike Porter, could not make it. So okay. Paul Gilmore, um, another local guy, fine player, great guy, um, was uh, did the tour with us. And one day I said something to him, I don't remember what it was, and he goes, not my circus, not my monkey. And I was like, wait, what? I had <laughs> never heard that before. And I said, yeah, yeah. That's, it, it was like an epiphany. I was like, I want to live my life like this. Honey, can you take out the gun? Not my circus, not my monkey. Can you make dinner? No, not my circus. So I said, I got to write a song about it. So I, I gave Paul partial copyright credit because I wouldn't have written that song, you know. And I just thought about situations that either I had been in or that I, I knew of from other people where somebody, maybe somebody you barely know, tries to drag you into their own private hell. And oh, sure. what is your yeah. what is the only viable response? Not my circus, not my monkey. Sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that man. That's a great that's a great it way to right. Not get pulled into arguments by. into their nightmares. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta back off and right say I can't unhear this <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna put up the stop signs right now what what great advice so at that point I'm curious about was it a gradual thing where you say I want to write songs I can write songs or I, how did it happen for you I started writing songs in junior high school I, oh, okay. I was in seventh grade and I wrote a song and it was horrible but you know I mean could expect that um sure and i always like i always like to write poetry but i didn't like reading it it just bored the crap out of me um because a lot yeah. of poetry like you have to get it explained to you because they the because of of the the phrasing that they use and you have to figure out, like, well, what are they actually saying? What are they writing about? What's the hidden meaning? I am far too lazy for that. So, <laughs> you know, I, I liked writing. I, I liked haikus. I like limericks. You know, I, I like that kind of thing. So um, I love lyricists like, like guys who, who I really just love. The Beatles, of course, you know, and, and the Stones. Simon, mm -hmm. who I think is a national treasure. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, Elvis Costello, who's, you know, a genius. Um, Gershwin, you know, Ira, Ira I think, wrote, wrote the, the lyrics on that stuff. The people like Rogers and Hart and um, mm -hmm. Rogers and Hammerstein. You know, the, these people who in Berlin, obviously, and sure. Cole Porter. You know, these mm -hmm. people who, they... You don't have to guess what they're talking about. They, they hit you right where you live. Pretty much all of the things that I write are from my own life. I okay. colorful. I've lived in interesting times. And um, so I, I write a lot about my own experience or about people that I know personally. They're like 
that I know what their situation has been. And there's plenty of material. There's lots of stuff. You notice people like the Stones, as they got to the point where they became super, super rich, and they really didn't have any real, you know, financial problems in the world, their writing changed completely. And, and they couldn't write, they could not write a song like Mother's Little Helper or I Can't Get No Satisfaction today. They just can't. It's not in them. It's not where their life's yep. at. But it wasn't it's, almost, it's, almost like, it's almost like when you're a younger man, I akin it to when you are in survival mode, you're trying to make your way, there's a constant struggle. You have a different angst and a different perspective on things. You're still the same person. But then as you get older where, you know, I don't worry about that, but now I worry about my health mm-hmm. or something. Your, your perspective changes. Uh, and if you keep with the songwriting, you can articulate that. And that's what I love about songwriters is they can articulate things that I'm feeling. And if, if they're a common man approach, I would say, um, you know, yeah, I, I can deal with that. I don't have to figure it out because you're telling me you just got screwed over and, and now you're unhappy <laughs> in the most basic terms. Well, that's what it's really all about, uh, isn't it? I mean, you're writing about yeah. yourself, but you, you're hoping that somebody else can relate to it. I mean, now at, you know, at our age, at my stage of the game, when I talk about drugs, none of them get you high. They just, you know, <laughs> we used to live to do drugs. Now we do drugs to live. That's the <laughs> but it, it's it's a whole Good. different thing, and that's what I, that that's one thing that I really love about the blues. No matter how bad your situation might be, by and large, mm-hmm. um, there's probably a blues song about it, which means that somebody not only went through what you're going through, but they made it through enough to write a song about it, record it, and you're hearing right. it. So there is, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, if you think about that too, you know, particularly if you're writing about painful things, okay, and you, now you've immortalized it in music and a song. And guess what? You're, you're, you're reliving. It's like a, a record that keeps going. You're, you, you know, you're performing it. You know, that's got to change with you emotionally. But um, it's still got to strike. You know, I've seen people sing the same song and get choked up because it struck them a different way because maybe they're thinking about somebody else with that and I know I'm rambling a bit here but I think one of the best compliments an artist can get is when somebody comes up to you and says your original song really absolutely really hit here right that's absolutely um that's better than anything else better than the war of the crowd weren't there songs that helped you get through horrible situations we've all had horrible situations have its part of living but weren't there songs that helped you get through it that that you would listen to and, and turn to and it just you know you might have played it a thousand times just because it it, it said what you couldn't right right and I, I'll, I'll tell you I was listening my wife and I were on the deck yesterday and she was playing Joan Baez and Joan Baez, I forgot who she was. She was covering Jackson Brown, okay? And she sang the lyrics in such a way that the lyrics were very crisp to me and the tempo was slower. So my ears, at that point, listening to the song, I digested that song a lot differently than hearing it 
and this is not diminishing Jackson Brown by any means, great songwriter. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, I, I heard the lyrics, and it kind of touched me. I'm like, wow, it's, I, I've never heard that song that way before, and I got more out of it in that particular time and place. So it, it's interesting. And that comes back to when you do music and you put your nuance onto that, whether it's a lick or how you vocalize it or how you find your voice in that song uh, that can stir different emotions in people. Uh, am I getting kind of no, wacky no, about I, it? I, but, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the first album that I recorded under my own name, under the Hitman Blues mm -hmm. Band, I had Johnny Gale was the producer. And okay. I, I, I always remember this. I was singing, you know, whatever tune it was, and mm -hmm. he stops and he goes, who's that guy? I want the guy who sang the line before that. Bring that guy back because this guy is not sincere. And that's when I oh. realized every note counts. Everything you do, every phrase, every way that you sing, it counts. And you have to be sincere and you have to be real. You have to believe in what you're singing. And right. some, sometimes, oddly enough, the, the writer of the song might not be able to deliver on it the way that somebody else can. And they can really right. carry that through and emote. Because that's what it is. It's communication. Some people communicate better well, than others. You know, it, it brings to mind when I, I love public speaking and uh, I was up in front of a, a group and, uh, you know, I come back to hear what my boss thought of it. And he goes, Steve, you know what? In person, you're a very energetic, bubbly guy. When I just heard you up there, I didn't recognize you. you were really flat. And I was like horrified. But now I'm extremely thankful because Speaking in conversation like we are one-on-one -on -one is different than with an audience or a larger crowd. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to emote. You have to be more emotional. You have to bring your energy up. And, uh, and I, learned, I learned a hard lesson that day uh, with my thin skin, but it was a great lesson to learn. Yeah. You know? And it was worth so, it. I've, I've had people steer me in directions that, you know, um, it, was, it was humiliating, but it ended up making <laughs> me, you know, better. Uh, and, and, and a better, right. per, and, and a better, perhaps a better communicator on stage. Yeah, that's 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 another aspect of things. I mean, you communicate through your instrument, you, through how you emote a song. But I, you know, I put people in categories as far as silos. I think there are great musicians, and what they do is very good. Not so good entertainers in that. And I'm speaking from an audience mm -hmm. perspective. When I feel that. The, I don't care if I'm in with 500 people or 20 people in a room. When I feel that entertainer has invited me into their world and their room and they're speaking to me, maybe not speaking to me, but I feel like they're speaking right. to me. Man, that, that changes the whole, and the whole speaking aspect of things. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of the point. I mean, uh, you know, I've been in front of large audiences, but I feel like yeah, I'm talking to each person. Because they came to see That's us. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm speaking hey, to them. Let's do this. Tell me about every piece of me, that song, and I want the audience to hear it because I'm sure they're chomping at the bit to hear what you've got next. Uh, well, it, when I introduce this song, I usually say, show of hands, who here has never had their heart broken? And there might be <laughs> one person, also, one guy in the back with a Star Trek T-shirt. You know, but... <laughs> 
for everybody else, you know that when you get your heart broken, it's not just your heart. It feels like everything inside of you has gotten ripped out. And the song is called sure. Every Piece of Me. Look, we've all had it happen. Um, it's, I mean, you're decimated. You're ripped apart. And right. hopefully, you know, you find your way back again. And that's right. what you have to do. All right, everybody. Let's listen to Every Piece of Me. We'll be right back with Russell Alexander. Check it out. times I helped you and you told me things were all right but when you thought I was sleeping I heard you crying in the night and it's not my heart that's broken Oh, it's every, every piece of me No, it's not just my heart that's broken I fell apart when you I know you tried, you tried to love me I know that I was hard to understand I never really showed how much I needed you So you had to find yourself another man
someone to make you happy. I wish that I had been that man. If I ever find another love like you gave me, I swear I'll never lose that love again. Russell, that was a, a great song. Every piece of my heart we just heard. Uh, that too. Uh, I like that song. <laughs> there I go. Screwing up titles again. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'm really interested when I was reading what you do as far as going to the UK to play. I find it so interesting. Uh, one, how did that how did that come about for you to uh, go across the pond, as they say, and what are the likes and uh, differences with the audiences that you've experienced in the UK versus uh, here in New York? Well, getting to the UK is entirely thanks to my wife, Joanne. Um, she, okay. uh, in around 2003, I guess, started sending out press kits to people in Europe and the UK. and She sent out over 100 press kits. We got one, one okay. response. And it was from a, a guy named Cat Anderson, who had been Steve Marriott's personal manager. And he had a stroke. Right. And he got out of the music business for like 10 years. And he decided he wanted to get back into it again. And just at that time, he got our press kit. And he heard it. And he, he asked us for $400, which normally would have okay. sent up all kinds of red flags. Yeah, but sure. He wanted to know if we were serious, and um, and this was his way of doing it. And you have to know, Cat. Mm. Unfortunately, Cat passed away in, in 2011 from a, a, a brain tumor. But um, mm. Cat was a real character, and he booked us for six weeks. Unheard. Okay. I had an, it was just Joanne and I, and we went All to right. England, and we had to drive six hours up to like the border of Scotland. And we met Groove Juice, which was the backing band. And uh, and Cat came to the third show that we did. And uh, mm -hmm. the, the deal was Groove Juice would back me up because they would open. 
And this way they got okay. to go on stages that they would not normally be able to get onto. And through Cat, he was able to sell me because I was a New Yorker, I was American, you know. So n not that that's a big deal anymore. I mean, you want to see an American in okay. England or in Europe or in Ireland, throw a rock, you'll hit five. But, um, okay. <laughs> but the idea was just, okay, you know, we, we'll book this guy in. And so Groove just gets on. They finish their set. I get on. I open up with an instrumental killing floor. Uh, and because okay. we only had the album Blues Town and Angel in the Shadows out at the time, and uh, and then I sing the first song, and Cat turns to Joanne and goes, "Now I can breathe." He didn't know if I could really sing. He booked us for oh, a six-week yeah. tour. He had no idea. <laughs> now that was luck. Uh, that that you know, and it was because of Joanne's hard work that we got that. And in fact, I mean, I would not have done any of that because I'm horrible at that yeah. stuff. And, um, right, right. And then we we went back again, and we went back again, and then we went to Europe. Uh, and then we had a bit of a problem um, with for financial situations, and we couldn't go back until 2011. And the lesson I learned okay. from that is that if you're touring and you stop touring for four years, three or four years, and you're not a big name, you are now starting all over again. Yeah. Mm, and... Sure. Uh, and we had even had a club owner yell at me. He was like, "You guys, had, you had such a great following here. Now we got to now we got to start all over again." Um, no, it's at a club in Oxford. This guy was another character. Um, great guy, though. Uh, also passed. Um, so the audience is there. It's not like they go, "Oh, it's an American!" Wow, they see Americans all the time, man. They see everybody all the time. Sure, sure. Um, I would like to say that the English audiences maybe listen a little more, but that's not always okay. the case. You know, it, I mean, some. I mean, look, we we went to see um, uh, Dead and Company um, uh, uh, last week, and these people in front okay. of us did not shut up from the time the concert started until we got up and walked away, and I basically said to some other people in the other row. I said, listen, we got to leave. These people are freaking assholes and they haven't shut up once. And they just like stared in front of them and they didn't say anything to me. But I was pissed. Right. You always get yeah. people like, you're going to get people like that any place, I suppose. But we found less of them in England um, okay. and, and, and Scotland. Um, one thing mm. that I will say, we played in France and we played at this place uh, that was in, in, in southern France and um, the people were great. They listened. They responded. And uh, the owner told me that the week before they had had a heavy metal band. And the same people came okay. in. They'll, they'll go to a jazz band. They'll go to a blues band. They'll go to a folk band. They'll go to a traditional, you know, French band. Because it seems that in on, on continental Europe, in a lot of places... They just want to hear good music. They want to hear it played well. And they're not mm. as segmented, perhaps, as we are here, where it's like, if it ain't heavy metal, I ain't listening to it. You know? It's, you know, they don't listen to anything, man. They don't care. And very supportive. Yeah. You know, I found, I found that, too, as, as I've gotten older, you know, I'm used to music of the 70s, and, you know, I have my likes as well. But I didn't want to be locked into just listening to Neil Young, and I love Neil Young. I wanted to open up 
uh, WFUV in, in the Fordham uh, radio station. Man, it's cross-genre type of thing. And then you realize, man, there's a lot of great artists out there. So I've been opened up to some good hip-hop and ska music and reggae and, and you know, stuff that I wouldn't – you know, I'm not a club goer after 10 o'clock. You know, I got my pajamas on. But, um, you know, my daughter's like, you got to hear these guys, you know. They do a, – a beatbox guy does these things that are amazing. And I think it's being open to that. And that's that's what's good about a European um, viewpoint or perspective on music. Hey, it's all do, art. Do I'm going to take it do in. Do great bands yeah. everywhere. But a lot of times when you get older, you just don't want to hear it. And you want to stick with – there's a band <laughs> we heard here. I think it's M- – what is it? MJT? Was it? Um Okay. A Long Island band, a, a trio. These guys are amazing. If you like, like, you know, John McLaughlin and Frank Zappa and, you know, I, I know it's a weird mix. But, and, and also, <laughs> you know, like like Sade and stuff. You throw that all together. That's what these guys are. They were great. And young guys. Yeah. You know, there, there's stuff yep. happening out there. You just... God, when we were younger, we had friends who would say, oh, you got to hear this band. You got your daughter saying, yeah, you got to hear this band. But for a lot of us, we don't have somebody to turn us on to these things that are going on. And, you know, bands come and go, like, constantly. Yeah, yeah. But we're missing some really great music out there. I know. I ran. I got to tell you about this one band, and I never would have seen them or been exposed to them without the podcast. They're called Nonstop to Cairo. And these guys were a mix of hip-hop and ska and reggae and rock, all kind of mashed into one. And I'm listening to these guys, and it's just like you, you, you start moving. You know, it's that they got that groove going to you that it's like, you know, I'm going to enjoy listening to that, you know. Um, that was kind of yeah. cool. So, um, yeah. it, it, anyway. It's just, you know, <laughs> what we need is uh, we need to get some guide to come out and, and hip all of us older people to, like, Hey, you should check this group. We have a friend of ours, um, their daughter is in a female trio called Choke Cherry. And mm-hmm. they, okay. they and this is the first band I ever heard this that, that I personally know this happened to. They went viral on Spotify. They went from zero followers to 143,000 monthly followers in like a month. Oh, my God. Some guy on TikTok just said, you got to listen to them. And they came to New York and they just did a couple of gigs here and we went to see them. And uh, and people, you know, I mean, it wasn't like that they, they have thousands of people coming to their shows right now, but they're just getting started. And I think a lot of people who are into like 70s rock would probably love them. Like just really love them, man, especially women, because their lyrics are really woman centered in a way that's different from 70s lyrics. It's It's, you know, now lyrics, which are more... Um, kind of like hopeful and a little more like I'm not putting up with this, but but not over more so. more imp- yeah, empowering. That's that's women. the word that I should have been yep. using. Thank you. Well, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is in the description for those who are watching and or listening to this, I'm gonna put Choke Cherry in there so you can go listen to what we're talking about, and that's that's how we spread the gospel of great they music. They only have one you know, song by... out right now, but they're they're. I heard well, basically all of their tunes they did live were really good, so I really enjoyed it. Nice. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's just so much out there. Now, you know, I know that you're going to be playing um, a, a one more song from us, Hoochie Hoochie mm-hmm. Man, right? 
Right. Correct. Yep. Now, when my group, we do a few cover tunes, but we don't do them anything like the original because there's no point in that. That the best we right. could hope for is to do it as well as the original person did it, and they already did it. So, so we just <laughs> right. do it totally different. So just as like we also like one of the other songs we do is um, times they are changing, and I preface it by asking people if they're you know if they've ever heard of Robert Zimmerman and then you know Bob Dylan, and I say if you're a Bob Dylan fan, you're either gonna love this or you're gonna really freaking hate it. <laughs> because we, we've gotten both reactions. We've gotten people going, I was incredible, I loved that. And other people are like, mm, yeah. You destroyed yeah, that it's song. It's not like Bobby did it. I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, because I can't do it the way no, Bobby no, does it. I don't want to do it the way he did. He did it that way. Why should right, I do it again? Right. And, you know, and, you know that, that ties into, you know, um, in speaking to my guests, is, you know, finding your, your voice you know, with your music and your style is something is, is another discovery another another uh, journey to take. Cause that, I mean, God bless some people, you know, they find their voice and their style immediately. Others, it takes a, a little while to kind of circle around oh, yeah. and how they, how they present themselves. Why don't we do this? Since you mentioned it, let's listen to, it's not going to be like you heard it before. Hoochie Coochie Man. We'll be right back after the song. Hang with us, everybody with, we're with Russell Alexander. Jitsu woman told my mama On the day I was born You got a boy child coming It's gonna be a son of a gun
day of the seventh month. The seventh doctor said he was born for good luck. Just you wait and see. I got seven hundred dollars. Don't you fool with me because I'm here. back with Russell Alexander from the Hitman Blues Band. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. 
All right. Finally, it took a couple turns, but you know, with a little practice, I can articulate your band name, which is simple, but you know, I'm not that smart. I got to ask you, how did you get the nickname? And I probably have an idea, the Hitman. Uh, a couple of times in my life, I got that. Um, I was a, a freelance musician in the club date field, and the club date field is when you play, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs and society gigs and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And I knew hundreds and hundreds of songs, so I knew all the hits. Okay. And it got to the thing where I'd be on a gig, and you know, uh, and I was a freelancer, so I played with a lot of different bands. Sure. Um, and they would get a request for a tune that, of course, you know, these guys did not know. And, you know, eventually it started going, you know, ask us, he's a hitman, he knows all the hits. And, you know, <laughs> so I got that name, and I thought, okay, cool, you know, it was fun, you know, nice. Um, that, then uh, when, uh, when I was around late 20s, early 30s, I started going to jam sessions in Manhattan, and there was um, one place that I started going to called Chicago Blues, which at the time was on, I think, 2nd Avenue and 22nd Street or 23rd Street. Okay. And I eventually moved down to the village and, and was on the, on, on the west side. But at the time that I was going there, a lovely woman named Lavette Jackson and her husband Mitch were running it. And Lavette had a great voice. And, uh, you know, first time I walk in, she goes... Hi, honey, I'm so glad you came. You know, just sit down. It's like, holy shit, man, I'm home. And um, and uh, that's when I started wearing not this hat, but another hat. And I okay. always wore a tuxedo because I'm comfortable in a tuxedo. I've worn Good tuxedos, you. you know, my whole professional life. Uh -huh. And I would have the shades on. I started wearing shades because after one particular gig, they, were, they had these lights up for the photographer. Oh, and they were flashing in my eyes all night. And at the end of the night, I literally couldn't see. Yeah, and I said, that's never going to happen to me again. I don't care what anybody says. When I'm on stage, I'm wearing shades. And so at that point, I'm wearing shades. I got this. I walk in the hat. And, and Mitch goes, Russ is a hitman. He's hitman. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's the second time in my life that, that, that I'm, I'm getting this. <laughs> And and it, that that became my my moniker when it, you know for that club and I just said, all right, I'm gonna stick with that's it. My name. It's a sign. That's a but sign a for sign. sure. And I might I might be stupid, but I ain't that stupid. So I figured <laughs> out I just keep it, and and it it works. Amazing. I tell you, I, I learned so much from you uh, today, Russell. Thanks for, uh, you know, just your experience in the business uh, and the journey that you've taken. And that you continue to do is is pretty amazing. I really uh, I I got to meet for those who don't know I got to meet uh, Russell at the Long Island Music Hall of Fame very briefly. Uh, I really look forward to to watching you uh, apply your art and and play and meet you in person again. And uh, as always, well, we're playing. Can, can I say that we're going to be? Oh playing yeah, please do. We're going to be playing Westbury at the Westbury Summer Arts Council. Uh, on July 13th at 7 o'clock. It's my birthday. Uh, that's my that's birthday. A, happy birthday. That's a Thursday. Um, I believe it's on Post Avenue. It's on our website, which oddly enough is called hitmanbluesband.com. Okay. So you can you can look at our gigs page. It's over there. Um, 
And we're going to be having, uh, I'm very, very happy to say we're having Danny Keen is going to be joining us on keyboards because our regular keyboard guy, Mike, Mike Katzman, can't make it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be nice. It, it's going to be almost the full band. Normally we go out as nine pieces, but um, really, Ooh. we're going to be going out with, um, uh, well, it'll be eight pieces. Um, the guitar, bass, keyboards, drums, tenor sax, trumpet. And normally we would have a trombone or a barry sax, but we couldn't really swing that for this. And our two backup vocalists, um, Joanna Alexander, my wife, and Nancy Hampton. So, uh, you know, it'll be fun, and it's free. So there you go. Mark it down in your calendar, July 13th. So wonderful. And if if it rains, they have a venue to, uh, so it's rain or shine. Wonderful. Well, I tell you, I, I learned this from a good friend, Bob Murray, who said, you know what, we can account for what we have in our bank and what we own. can never account for the time we have left. And uh, Russell, the fact that you gave me more of an, than an hour of your time, it was a, a true blessing, and I, I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate the invitation, man. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. And Be letting well. me read. <laughs> take care, brother. Be well. Uh, take care. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Peace.